0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. got a Bible this morning. I invite you to turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and if you don't have a Bible with you, the words will be up there on the screen and back at back of me. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be, and we'll get there in just a moment. Two dangers we face this Christmas. One is more obvious and one is more subtle. The obvious one is that uh, it's so easy for us to have a comfortable Christmas, Uh, Many of us in this room, we like the sentimentality of the Christmas season, the the predictable things, the songs, the the food, the gatherings, Uh, and we can kind of uh, get into this mindset where we just forget uh, the main uh, reason for uh, the season, and so we've got to push back against the sentimentality and push back against uh, what brings us this comfort so we can look at these truths again that are worthy of our worship. The second danger, more of a subtle danger this Christmas, is that some of us here in this room, we're so overly familiar with the story that oftentimes uh, we just kind of go through the motions of Christmas. Along with that, uh, because we want to learn something new, we're so preoccupied with the details of the Christmas story that uh, we lose the forest with the trees. We get preoccupied with details that we don't cherish the, the bigger truths of the gospel Here in these stories. We get sidetracked with things that are really secondary uh, when we should be worshiping Christ as Lord. For example, today we're going to look at the story of the wise men. And it's really easy for us to begin asking questions and get wrapped up in the details of who were these men? uh, Where did they come from? How did they hear about this star anyway? And then speaking of the star, how did the star get there in the sky was it some conjunction of, of planets? Was this a, a comet in the sky that was just leading these wise men? And so we can get off on these rabbit trails and get so preoccupied with the details that we forget the main essence of Christmas. I saw this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He said, This: Let us close our eyes in worship rather than open them with irreverent curiosity. Maybe at Christmas time. It's a time for us to just close our eyes and worship at this Christ who has come to us. And so today, I want us to see three big gospel truths that will help us to worship Jesus this Christmas. They may not seem very Christmassy to us, but three big gospel truths. And so let me read first this text, familiar and fascinating story of the wise men coming to worship Jesus. Matthew chapter 2. This is the word of God. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Three big gospel truths I want us to see uh, from this text that help us to worship Jesus this Christmas. Here's the first one Jesus is not just for Americans, He is a light to the nations. Jesus is not just for Americans, He is a light to the nations. Verse 1 and 2 again. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. So, who, who were these wise men? We don't know a lot about them. A lot of conjecture, not a lot of scripture when it comes to understanding who they were and where they, they came from. Uh, A lot of people have speculated that these men uh, were pagan astrologers, magi, and they're coming from perhaps a thousand miles away in ancient Persia, but we don't know for sure. But what we do know is that they were coming from the east, and they had heard about this king. Evidently, they had been influenced by uh, Jewish teachings, and they had read about this, and they had studied the stars, and they had seen this star that looked very different shining in the sky, and so in faith, they moved toward the star to worship this king. Now, this journey of the Magi was actually prophesied, because these Men who are coming from this foreign land, non-Jews, Gentiles, are showing us the heart of God. From the very beginning, he has wanted his gospel, the good news of Jesus, to go all the way to the furthest reaches of the globe. Back in Genesis chapter 12, we see this promise given to Abraham, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You remember when Abraham looked out at the night sky, saw all those stars, those will be your descendants. In Genesis 22, says again, and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So starting with Israel and moving out into the rest of the world, this promise of a Messiah would be coming. We see this over and over again, the repetition of the nations will come and worship this king. In Psalm 86, verse 9, it says, And all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. So Jesus is is not just for Americans. He's a light to all the nations of the world. Even more pointedly, in Isaiah 49, verse 6, it says this. Isaiah the prophet says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth so it's, it's too small to contain and conceal this message to Israel it's got to go all the way to the furthest reaches of the globe This Christ is coming to be a light to all the nations. And then more specifically, even than that, in Isaiah 60, verse 3, it says, A nation shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Nations will come to your light. Kings are going to be coming to your light. And so we see here in this story the beginning of an ingathering of the nations, who will come to worship King Jesus. And I want to just say this. The more we make Christianity a white American thing, we rob God of his glory and we miss out on the, the beauty of what he's doing all over the world. We do. We're just one small piece of a beautiful mosaic that he is putting together, this worldwide church composed of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So these wise men, it's not so much that we know who they were, but who they represent. They represent people all over the world, the nations, are going to come and worship King Jesus. This is not just a tribal deity. This is not just for a, a select number of people. No, this is for the world to know of our great Savior who's been born to us in Christmas. If so often we get wrapped up into this story and think about it in terms of uh, what we're more familiar and what is more comfortable. For instance, have you noticed uh, nativity sets I have yet to come across one that's really biblically accurate and ethnically realistic. Take a look at this one. Here's an example. Right? I mean, look at Jesus. He is he's pasty white, isn't he? <laughs> right? And and we think about when Jesus was born. Was he white? Jesus was a Jew, a Middle Eastern Jew, an Aramaic speaking Jew. And so he had darker skin. And, and, and what we want to do sometimes with the Christmas story is kind of sanitize it and make it something more comfortable to us. But Jesus comes into a culture there in the Middle East. And his gospel goes out from there to all cultures of this world. Jesus wants to be worshipped by every tongue tribe. And nation. His glory to reach the furthest ends of the globe. So, this past week, I've been both challenged and encouraged again with this truth that Jesus is a light to all nations. It's been a reminder for me as you just look at the world population. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. A lot of times we think that here in the United States that we're kind of the majority, but we're actually in the minority. Even just looking at the figures here, uh, look at North America. So, this includes Canada and Latin America, uh, just represents 7% of the world's population. If we were to trim that down just to the United States, we would represent 4% of the world's population. And then you look at Asia and Africa 60%, nearly 60% of the world lives in Asia, are Asians. 16.7% in Africa, representing over a billion people. And somehow we think that this world revolves around us. You know what's really encouraging, though? Right now, statistics show that Christianity is growing most rapidly in Asia and in Africa. Did you know that? The gospel is moving in the hearts of people. People are coming to know Jesus in Asia and Africa in waves, And here's something that's even more interesting. They're experiencing persecution for their faith in Christ. And yet the gospel continues to spread rapidly. I was talking to a good friend of mine uh, just this past week who's in Malaysia. We we support the Rinkenbergers. And uh, he was telling me he's got some Chinese friends. And they were telling me about uh, Chinese pastors in particular and how if they have yet to, to be in prison they have yet to really experience an education. It's almost as if prison is like their seminary, and they don't have a lot of respect until they have gone to prison for their faith in Christ. This is just so unlike, so foreign to us, and yet I think it's coming more and more, and we've got to realize that maybe there's a reason for that, that God's going to be purifying the church of Jesus Christ, and that if you aren't rooted in the gospel... And really in love with Christ and these hard things start to come, it's going to be a test. But I'm amazed the gospel keeps on spreading all throughout Asia and Africa. Are you excited about that? I'm excited about the gospel spreading to all nations. This is the heart of God that all peoples might know him and come bow down to King Jesus. Now, The other thing about this is there's such a great need. Some of you have heard there's a place called the 1040 window. Um, And go ahead and put the picture up there. So this represents... uh, Let me get my little sheet out here with some figures on here. So if you draw a line on a map, north latitude 10 to 40 degrees in the eastern hemisphere, this is what's called the 1040 window. Within this window represents 95% of the people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Think about how many times you've heard about Jesus. 95% of the people of the world who have never heard the gospel are here in this region. 90% of the world's poorest people live there in that 1040 window. Most of the people believe much differently, obviously. They're Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist. And statistics show that less than 5% of missionaries are currently going to these dark regions of the world. We're we're going to places that have already been reached. And meanwhile, 2.5 billion people are on their way to an eternity without Jesus. That's heartbreaking. I want to expand our hearts. I want to expand my heart to have the heart of God for the nations of the world. We need his heart to partner with people who are doing this. And this is where it's so encouraging. Um, We currently have several uh, global partners in these areas of the world. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, We have a new map uh, as you come into the sanctuary. And this represents kind of the people who are now on the field, in, on the field, and doing the work that we can't do. Yeah. Guys, we, uh, we are partnering with them financially and prayerfully, um, and I'm praying that we would be able to go, some of us maybe. And God would raise us up to want to go to these furthest reaches of the globe and give our lives for Jesus in those areas. Um, it's encouraging. It's um, encouraging. But there's more work to be done. These are dark, dark, dark areas that need the light of Christ to come in. Matthew 24, verse 14 says this, In this gospel, the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. You're wondering when the end will come, when Jesus will return again. We've got to be uh, sending more and more people to the furthest reaches of the globe in these dark areas so that all the nations, all the people groups, these various uh, people of different tongues and tribes and nations will hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they'll have a viable witness there in their area. Locally, um, I was encouraged about a month ago. I was asked by a, a pastor that actually used to attend here. Some of you know Jose Pineda. Uh, he and his family are now serving at this church in Fort Dodge, at Rolling Hills Community Church. They have a Hispanic um, uh, church within the church. The, they're kind of meeting in that facility, and he asked me if I could speak uh, for his church at this gathering, and so my, my whole family were able to go, and it was just such a good reminder of just our need to be partnering with people of different cultures and languages, and, and we're all we're all together in this work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, It was also good for us to actually be in the minority where they had to translate for us, right? It was all Spanish and English, and so it was a wonderful opportunity. I'm thankful for that and what's, uh, what's happening there in that church. Uh, My wife has been such a great encouragement to me in this area personally. We have been reading through an Advent devotional that really encourages us to think about all peoples made in the image of God, even uh, refugees, immigrants, people of all cultures, uh, to have a heart, the same heart that God has for all peoples. And so that's the first point that we pull out of here. This, This big gospel truth for us to see is that Jesus is not just for Americans. He's a light to all nations. He is. Secondly, Many people know about Jesus in their heads, but aren't moved by him in their hearts. Many people know about Jesus in their heads, but aren't moved by him in their hearts. Look at verses 3 to 6. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so this this news of a king that's been born and these magi that are coming from the east, Herod's troubled by all this, and meanwhile he uh, summons these religious leaders, these chief priests and scribes. The chief priests were the ones who would oversee the temple worship uh, of God's people. The the scribes were those who would oversee and be guardians of God's word, and they would be tasked with this meticulous job of of, writing down verbatim the words of the Old Testament onto these scrolls. And so they were very familiar with all of this language, familiar with all of these Old Testament texts and and prophecies. And so when Herod pulled them together and said, hey, what about this Christ that's been born? Where, Where is he born at? They knew the right answer, right? Oh, yeah, that's in Bethlehem. And by the way, that's Micah 5, verse 2. And they just knew it from memory. They had studied it. Dissected it, probably debated it, detailed it out, and yet did nothing about it. They knew a lot about this Messiah, but they weren't moved by him in their hearts. They were indifferent. Almost picture them here, just kind of. that's great, Messiah. Went right back to their normal life, their comfortable life. Only five miles away, Jerusalem was from Bethlehem. Not even out of curiosity could they get up and take a walk and go check this thing out. They must have thought, well, if this Messiah was born, surely he would notify us because we're really important. We're like the religious people. And they sat there and yawned. I don't know if you guys have seen this new gift that's out this Christmas, this beanbag onesie. Have you seen this? <laughs> so uh, if you're still looking for that perfect <laughs> gift, eighty-nine point ninety-nine only for a beanbag onesie. <laughs> Some of you are thinking... I know exactly who I could get that for. I mean, basically stop, drop, and just relax, right? Just enjoy your Christmas, and I won't get into what I could say, but it's interesting how this is somewhat of an indictment on us as a culture, right? There would be people that would buy this and actually think of the idea and promote it, and, and it just amazes me. But guys, sometimes around Christmas, we, we just want the comfort of Christmas, right? We we just want to sit back and yeah, I've heard the stories before, just make me feel good. So then I can leave and get on with the rest of my Christmas. We want this book to give us information and maybe a little inspiration, but not so much transformation. Just keep me comfortable. And guys, sometimes this is dangerous even for me as, as a pastor. Uh, the Christmas story, no doubt, I have read it many, many different times, um, preached on it, I can teach on it, but has it impacted my heart? Have I slowed down to give thanks for the Savior who's come? And so there's a danger this Christmas, and there's also a danger that can sneak into our lives to think, you know what, um, I'm a religious person. I'm, I'm here, right? I'm here. And and these guys were religious leaders. I mean, this this is really disturbing when you think about it. These guys were the ones closest they should have been to the Messiah, and they made no movement toward him at all. So don't assume you're a Christian in this room today, moving into the Christmas holidays, just because you find yourself to be someone who's a churchgoer, who's kind of, you know, been a good person, you know, who's... Gone through the motions, and don't assume. If I asked people here in our community, "Are you a Christian?" What do you think the answer would be? Oh well, yeah, I'm a Christian. But then if I followed that question up with another question, "Why?" Well, then we'd get a lot of different answers, wouldn't we? Some of which might be like, "Well, I know such and such, and I've done A, B, C, and I have had this family upbringing here, and..." Some of it's really directed towards us and not so much Jesus and what he's come to do for us and if we're trusting in him. In Matthew 15, verse 8, Jesus said this to these religious leaders, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Is that you this Christmas? Be be honest now. Like, are you going through all the motions and singing all the carols, and you want all the sentimentality of the season, and yet when it comes right down to it, your heart, man, it's it's not in love with Christ. It's not in love with Jesus. John five thirty nine. Jesus says this also to this group of religious people. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. and It is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. There are some of you, man, you've been kind of reading and you've been involved in Oak Hill and, and, and different things, and yet here's the line of faith and you've just been inching up to it, yet you refuse to come to him and give your life to him. Why? This is the time for you to step over that line and say, yes, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve punishment for my sin and you took it all on the cross for me and you've been raised from the dead and I trust you with my life. I'm not in control anymore. I want to give you my life. It's it's yours. And rely upon him and trust in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Listen, faith faith moves. It's not stagnant. It will show. So, So some of you, you might think, well, hey, I'm a Christian. But listen, if your Christianity hasn't made any difference in the way you live, you have no grounds for assurance today. If your faith hasn't changed how you live, your life in the workplace, at home, in your relationships... Listen, you're probably not saved. Faith without works is dead. We're not saved by our works, but our faith produces a new life because God's changed our hearts. It'll show. So this Christmas, don't just know about Jesus in your head. I pray you'd be moved by him in your heart. Number three. True Christians... No matter their background, follow Jesus and worship him as King. True Christians, no matter their background, follow Jesus and worship him as king. In verses one and two, we see the Magi, they've come from afar, and most think it was probably over a thousand miles. And so you think about that journey. And, and, and I'm prone to think that there were more than three because that was a long distance to travel. More than likely, they were in a caravan, and it took several months, maybe up to a year. It would have been like us traveling from New York to Humboldt right around that distance on foot. But it would have taken faith, wouldn't it, to make that journey? I mean, they see the star in the sky, and they've got to believe that underneath that star is a king that they've come to worship. That took faith to move out. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, gives us a definition of faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not yet see. So they had faith to move out toward this star, believing that there would be a king there that they would worship, the king of all kings and lord of all lords. It also occurs to me that when they got there, it would have taken faith for them To see this little toddler, and and by the way, I know some of us, uh, we got our manger scene, nativity scene's all set up, and the wise men are there. uh, The wise men were not there, I'm sorry. (laughs) The magi would have not been there at the manger scene. It would have taken them longer. In fact, if you look here in the text, it says that they showed up at the, the house where they saw the child in verse 11. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. So by now Mary and Joseph were in probably a really small house because they were poor people and there's Jesus maybe about 2 years old right now and here comes these wise men pretty distinguished men you know probably had a lot of money and here they come and they see him and how did they respond How did they respond Well verse 9 says after listening to the king they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it was time or, or when it came to rest over the place where the child was, verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So this is like kids at Christmas. Christmas morning, you see the tree and there's all the presents and you're like, I gotta see what's underneath the tree. They had to see what was underneath that star. They raced there and they were rejoicing. Luke, the author, man, he could have just said they rejoiced, but he says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. <laughs> he he like kept stacking up. The joy, they couldn't contain themselves. This was a joy that was so different than any other kind of joy they've ever experienced before. So in joy, they come to him joyfully. Second, they come humbly. Notice what it says in here in verse 11. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Again, these are grown men, high-ranking Officials, probably distinguished men, and they fell down. They had to get lower because they knew that this king was higher than them. This little toddler, think about the faith that took. This little boy, he's the son of God, he's the king of kings. And I worship you humbly. Christmas is all about worship humbly worshiping our great king. you got to recognize that in order for you to see him as holy, you got to see yourself, first of all, as a sinner. I mean, Christmas won't make any sense to you if you don't see yourself as a sinner. It won't. You won't recognize the rescuer. You won't recognize why Jesus really came. He came to rescue you from your sin. He came to give you a new life, forgiveness, a new start. These men were convinced this was the king. They bowed down humbly before him. And notice, not only humbly and joyfully, but also sacrificially, it says then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, we could, we could talk again, debate about these gifts. And a lot of people have said, you know, this represents you know, gold for a king, frankincense for him as the priest, and myrrh. It's going to be something that later on will... Um, foretell that Jesus will die, and that was kind of a perfume used over the body, but we don't know all of that. What we do know, this was extravagant giving. This was not like a have to, like, like they didn't come in there and like, I suppose we better offer our gifts to the king. We, we better do that. And it wasn't like, oh, he's really needing our gifts because he's, he's poor. He's the king. Of all kings. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything, for in him is life and breath, and he gives that to us. And so he doesn't have any needs that we come to him with, but he's the king, and so they come sacrificially. This was not a have to, it was a want to. They were generous and extravagant in their giving, and I think that's a challenge for us today. We've been given so much. Are we giving Jesus everything? He owns it all. We're giving to him and worshiping him this Christmas joyfully, humbly, and sacrificially. It was a holy night. They were falling down on their knees, as the song says. Christ is the Lord, O praise his name forever. And So as we close, I love that Matthew begins his gospel and ends his gospel on the same note. In Matthew 2, he's talked about how the nations are coming to see this king. To worship him. And now he bookends the gospel, Matthew 28, with this commission that we've been given as Christians. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so God's global purpose here is that all nations would worship King Jesus joyfully and humbly and sacrificially. That's God's heart. And so our ultimate purpose then is the same. As as, as Christians, we worship King Jesus, and we want to join him in spreading this gospel, this good news, so that all the nations would hear of our great King We're to be that light now. He is the light and we are the light of the world that all the nations might worship him. He is worthy of our worship, and so worship him this Christmas just like the wise men. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your son Jesus who's come to us humbly with vulnerability and weakness so we can come to him the same way today. We, we don't have to put our best foot forward. We don't have to impress him, but just come as we are, as weak sinners in need of a Savior. And I pray that you would grant the gift of faith even now to call people here to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus as their Savior and King, and to bow before you and to worship you, for you are worthy of all of our worship. And God, to Enlarge our hearts to have the same passion for the nations of the world. Enlarge our hearts to be generous givers of our time and our gifts and our money. Enlarge our hearts, God, this Christmas with these three big truths here. Help us not to drift into the sentimentality and the comfort of the season, but to worship Christ as Lord.